Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. But it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls. And it was like, you don't have to give us a ride. You can't fill us snow. He can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. Thoughts were all alone in this empty void. They got close enough where he said he could see, you know, their eyes and and how intelligent they seem. This doesn't look right. The adrenaline type creature. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris. Three fingers, three long fingers. And this is when the mental tortures. And then then it was eerily quiet. Hello, Rob. Why, hello, sir. How's it going, man? Um, good. Good. How have you been? I'm all right. I'm I saw, little, you, saw you briefly about a week ago, but yeah, yeah, I'm a little under the weather, but uh, other than that, I'm okay. Just not uh, got a little bit of a cold, man. Oh, what did we have? Like the hurric, the remnants of the hur, one of the hurricanes run through and kind of made the weather kind of. Yeah, those pressure real... systems messed me up somehow. Like I, yeah, it's I felt really the same way about a week and a half up, ago. Man. My sinuses got all crazy and. It's really messed me up. I've been last few days. I've just been uh, sniffling and chortling and blowing my nose. And yeah, I did get to see you last week because you were uh, you were doing the uh, halftime show. You weren't performing in the halftime. I was show not performing for no, the uh, was... the Titans opening <laughs> opening game. Yeah, I got to work with Hunter Hayes during the halftime show. That was really cool. First football game I've ever seen. I got a nice view. That was a lot of fun. I have no idea who the guy even was, man. Really? Yeah, I no clue. He's he's pretty big in the country world. Well, that's part of the thing, part of the problem of living in Nashville and not being into country. <laughs> right. like you meet these people or you hear about them and you're like, somebody would be be like, wow, that's that's really them, someone that's into country. But mm-hmm. then you're just, you're just sitting there just thinking to yourself, um, I don't know who this person is. <laughs> that's that's kind of how it goes. Um, you had said to me that you had not seen it. 
Correct. The new one. I've seen the, the classic version, obviously. But. Right. That's 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 where your fear of clowns comes from. No, I I think it's I think it's the uh, creepy ass cookie jar my parents had. To be honest, <laughs> it was like he looked like a fat Ronald McDonald, and you know you pull his head off and then get the cookies, and it was. I'd walk past it in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and just just like leering at you. Yeah, just with that stupid smile and those big eyes and ugh. Well, Rob, are you sure you want to see this movie? Oh, of course, yeah. I don't know if you're gonna be able to handle it. I mean, I, honestly, I, I there's there's some things in it. I don't know. I'm not gonna watch it with anybody that like I need to be tough in front of or anything like that. But <laughs> <laughs> I just be me and Alyssa. Nobody that you want to impress, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I. It's an interesting movie, man. I mean, it's it it's quite different from the 1990 version in many ways. And of course, this is only part one of the two part. Um, series, I guess you would say. I think they're coming out with another one next year. Really? Is what I've heard. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to be two-part. That's yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, it's a two-parter. So this a- one, I mean, have you read the book? You're familiar with the miniseries, the original miniseries. No, never read the book or seen the original miniseries. Really? I thought you said you had. Mm-mm. The uh, stand I've read and seen the... Okay, okay. The... Well, see, in the book and in the miniseries, they... They have the section where they're kids, and then it fast flat, fast forwards to when they're adults, and then they have to fight it again. So the second movie is going to be that way, and there's okay. going to be flashbacks of the time that they were kids. Of course, in the book, the book is set in like 1985, so the stuff in the past is all like 1957, 56, 57, somewhere around there, right, and. The second movie is going to be set in now, 2017, 2018, whatever, because there's a 27-year increment that the It creature comes back, right? So the first movie is set in 1989, which was interesting for me because the kids in the movie uh, were like 13 years old, and that's how old, old I was in 1989. So this is a very interesting movie for me. A lot of a lot of nostalgia there. A uh, couple interesting things. Of course, it deals with this concept of this creature that basically feeds on fear, which is something that we have discussed in other episodes, like talking about like the black eyed kids, right. And those type of events, uh, whether or not they're trying to like feed on fear. And this is something I want to explore a little bit with the next guests that we're going to have on next time, or actually two times from now. But next week, we're going to have him on to talk about Ren uh, Collier, who's been talking about some of this kind of thing, this concept of, of this being that feeds on fear. But what I found really interesting was there is a part in the movie and in order to feed on fear, the clown, this creature, it manifests itself as something that the kids are going to be afraid of. Right. Okay, so one of the kids is a hypochondriac, and it shows up as a leper. Um, there is another kid 
<laughs> in the book, it's werewolves. But in this, and this is the part that I think, even though, you know, like, the, the, it's an evil clown for the whole book or the whole movie, there's a part in the movie where it manifests itself as a bunch of, like, clown dolls. <laughs> mm. So that's what I was thinking that you were like, you, you'd run. I think you're going to run screaming from the theater, Rob. That's no. what I think. That's what I think would happen. Yeah, I probably won't catch it in the theater, but I'll definitely be huddled in my armchair, like with my arms crossed and Alyssa laughing at me. <laughs> that's going to happen. But one interesting part was one of the kids is is afraid of a painting. That is in, I guess, the synagogue. I guess his father's the rabbi. And it's a painting that's on, there's a painting on the wall that he's afraid of. It's of this woman with kind of like pitch black eyes, right? And not to really give too much, I'm not really giving much, too much away of the plot, but, you know, obviously it manifests itself as this woman from the painting, okay? But what's interesting about that painting is it was a Modigliani painting. And do you remember us discussing with Steph Young about Modigliani? Uh, fresh my memory. The name sounds familiar, but I don't know why we brought Modigliani was a painter who lived in the late 19th, um, in the early 20th century. I think he died when he was like 35 years old. And most of his paintings, a good percentage of them, not all, have the subjects with pitch black eyes, kind of like the black eyed kids that we've described. And we talked to Steph about some other, somebody else's research that they had done on Modigliani and about how his mother had reported that when Modigliani was little, that he had apparently talked to these beings that had these pitch black eyes. Huh. So I thought that was a nice circular roundabout thing there, bringing Modigliani into it. It could have been completely coincidental on the film. Yeah, it could have been. They were like, well, someone find me a creepy painting. And right. Obviously one of his is going to be that, but. But I thought that was extremely interesting because we have this con- this kind of weird connection to Modigliani, the possibility of con- of a encounter with black eyed kids, and then this painting is put into the It movie, right? Which is about a creature that feeds on fear. Hmm. And another thing that impressed me about it in the original miniseries, you know, you know, not to denigrate Tim Curry's performance in that. But, you know, it's he's kind of a little bit, I think, in some ways corny, especially nearly 30 years later. There's a kind of corniness and a kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's been kind of made fun of and paradised since then. The way the clown is portrayed in this, I think, is much more sinister because... The monster is just underneath. It's like a skin that this being wears. Gotcha. And the monster is just right underneath. It's hard to kind of describe until you actually see the movie. Well, you know, you remember um, Twisty the Clown from American Horror? 
Uh, I haven't watched that. You didn't watch any of them? I've watched the, some of the first season, but I haven't seen all of them. Okay, well, there was, uh, was, they, there was, well, there was that carnival season. What was it? Freak Show, I think it was called. They would bring in clowns. American Horror Freak Show. That was one of the scariest clowns I've ever seen on TV is Twisty. Because he's wearing, like, I don't know, like a fake face over top of his real face. Anyway, he's also in, in the news, the recent, the current season of American okay. Horror. Which has, I wanted to bring this up by the way, um, this weird like murderous cult of clowns uh-huh. who don't bother me at all, and it's because they're so overdone and so outrageous. There's like there's nothing really, um, I don't know. They look like some kind of goofy monster masks or something, you know. That and that doesn't nothing about it scares me. Sure, but if I see somebody in like the I think I figured out that it's it's the exaggerated eyes and smile. I think that's what it is that really terrifies me because it's this. Yeah. It looks like um, uh, a caricature of um, the ultimate like sociopath or something. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. No, I can I can see that. Well, I I think I, I think in the beginning that was just to kind of bring the features out. Hmm. So you could, so people could probably see it better, <clears throat> but there is something about clowns that is, I believe, based in some medieval death rite, as I understand it. Like it's based in that, really. Um, originally, yeah. Well, maybe there's just something dark that's just been tied to it through the ages, too. Yeah, I, 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 th- I think so. It, you know, people were actually going into it. And they were they were dressing up as clowns and sitting in the movie theater when nobody else was in there, so they would be there while <laughs> when people filed in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I went to Dragon Con a couple weeks ago, and uh, I took a picture of uh, of ourselves myself with our new co-host. Um, he should be here any minute. Which is a nice. I took a picture of this guy who's dressed in a clown outfit, and it was like all dark in the area that we were. I'm pretty, it, it, it was it was perfect, man. Yeah, I, I know you sent it to me. I'm pretty sure my response was no. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to do that. Man. Simply no. As long if we're doing the show on my property, there will not be clowns. <laughs> there will not be clowns. No one will be dressed as clowns. <clears throat> well, you know the uh, the clowns. Uh, some of the when the, when the movie came out, some of the clown, I I don't know, like, I, what do they have a labor union? I guess they do, or some kind of organization. <laughs> the clowns go on strike. The they have um, they they were mad about it because of the way that it uh, portrayed clowns. <laughs> so yeah. Oh my god! Just just kind of off topic. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. Was you know in like France they have a lot of labor strife. This is nothing to do with clowns, but the pastry chefs weren't went on strike in in France, and they actually showed footage of them like being like tear gassed by police, and they're like throwing pastries, and they've got like the hats on the the chefs hats. Oh yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen, man. <laughs> I'd love to see a clown. Actually, though. There was a clown march just yesterday in D.C. 
Oh, that's right. The, the Juggalos, uh, the Juggalos. marched. And I saw a little bit of it yesterday, and there was a couple guys yelling about their right to smoke blunts. Huh. Apparently, there was a there was a there was a Trump rally, and then there was a counter rally later on in the day in D.C. That was the uh, was the march of the Juggalos. I'm disappointed <laughs> that we didn't get any like riots or. Any kind of fights? Because wouldn't you love to have seen some guys in clown makeup fighting <laughs> people? Well, that would have been fun. But I'm also, I got to say, I'm impressed. Like, that there was no, nothing newsworthy came of it. Like, <laughs> that those people all managed to congregate and just did their things, you know? That thing's creepy as hell, man. See? Yeah, I just sent him a picture of Twisty the Clown. <laughs> That's creepy as hell. Yeah. What an what an interesting world and interesting times that we live in, Rob. I can tell you, yep, for sure. I wouldn't trade it for any other time. I do have another story that I want to read, but I'm going to save that for after the interview because I think that, that, that I think that this could be this could possibly be the we've got another one we're going to record, but I think that uh, no one will be alive by the time that we actually oh. put that one out. So time again. Yeah, it's time again, but I'll read that later. I think I'll read that when we come back, and maybe Luke will be here at a certain point. One last appearance you before know, I uh, did. Uh, let's see, I did text him earlier, and uh, I said podcast tonight if you can, and he sent me back the text. He sent back was word, homie. <laughs> so uh, we will see. It's always a surprise and a crapshoot, but we have Chad and Alta Dillard coming on tonight. And we're going to talk about their book, Or Abducted in the French Quarter. It's a very short book. Lots of high it, strangeness. Lots of high strangeness. So I am I am looking forward to, to talking about that. And hopefully get them to talk about some some other things other besides what's what's in the book, even though that's weird enough. But so as in all of these high strangeness cases, it's always good to just listen to the story and make up your own mind about what you think happened. So without further ado, we will go to the guest and we'll be right back with some clowns on conspiracy normal. Hey guys, we're back on Conspiracy Normal, and of course, you know, it's me, your host, Adam, and this guy right over here. Me. And uh, Luke. Oh no, he's not here. Decided, I guess, uh, I, I guess word, homie, just wasn't enough of a confirmation from him, I suppose. I, th- I think that was more of a good luck, guys. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's probably what it was. Uh, on the line, we have Chad and Alta Dillard, and I'm really excited to get to speak to these guys. Um, we're going to talk about their experiences in 
with weirdness, high strangeness in life, and one in particular that happened to them in the French Quarter of New Orleans. Uh, as I said before, their book is called Orbducted, Orbducted in the French Quarter. So we'll kind of get to what that means and why it says orbducted instead of abducted. But guys, welcome to Conspiranormal. Well, thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Thanks so much. Absolutely. I, the the uh, you know the the stars kind of aligned for us because originally we had I had to reschedule, and I had said September seventeenth would be the day, and then. I think we had the we went through some other kind of thing, and then eventually ended up September seventeenth opened up for you guys. So mm-hmm. it's a, it, like I said, the stars have aligned. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about. I want to get into like kind of like Alta and Chad, you guys' family backgrounds, um, and I understand that Alta for you, there's a lot of Native American influence in your in your background as well. Right, so framing this for you, I am 10 years older than Chad. I'm born in the late 50s of mixed native blood in the territory or the reservation area of the San Carlos Apache Reservation in Arizona. Okay, I'm not Apache. My tribes are Nez Pierce and Blackfoot, but my father, who I didn't meet until late in life, my birth father, he and, and all of his people, if you will, located into that area, you know, as far back as anybody could remember. It seemed like generations, generations of Arizona. So anyhow, that's where I understand that I'm I'm born. <clears throat> a lot of mystery in my past, a lot of mystery and and I have no answers. And it's been, you know, quite a challenge. And I try not to play victim. I just try to stay very focused and one foot in front of the other. But just to move that story along, my mother chose to leave my father and, and the people when I was about six months old. Now, I don't have any more information than what I offer to you. Um, my mother has since passed on, and she was essentially my only family besides Chad. So, you know, this is all that I am able to offer is that she claims uh, that when I'm about six months old, She's left my dad and everyone and is driving across the desert. I don't know what desert. I've never asked her these questions, but she claims that I start feeling very silly when I start to say this part of my story, but it is my understanding of her truth. She says that when I'm just a baby, I'm the only passenger in the car she's driving. It's, she says it's daylight and that a small metallic craft came down out of the sky, she said, and stopped her on the road. Now, it's not even easy for me to repeat that now, Um, but certainly when I'm young and I'm hearing my mom share that a couple of times in my youth with other people, I just wanted to disappear. I was so embarrassed, and I thought she was crazy, and I knew my mom was far from crazy, but she was, she had a lot of mystery in her life, and so, uh, you know, this is this is kind of the beginnings, if you will, of my. I borrowed the term many years ago, high strangeness, and I feel it applies to everything, specifically in my world. Yeah, it's, um, it's quite appropriate, yeah. especially to you to your story. Why why does that kind of like everything that has happened to you since then? Why does that one incident kind of 
I, I don't know if, the, if bother you is the right term, but why does that kind of can, why does that still kind of bother you? Is he right. compared to everything else? It seems pretty fairly right. tame. Right. Well, uh, bother is a perfect word. Um, it, that's certainly what it seems to do to me inside. And my only understanding of that, you know, and doing my own and analyzing of myself, because I have never been able to find help. And, you know, I've certainly, that's why we, went public in the first place was trying to get help. But, you know, for me, just reflecting back on all of it is my only understanding would be is if it, if there's any truth to that, if there's any truth to that, that means that it began in my beginning. Sure. And so that's very strange for me. Now I've, I've asked this question of another lady that I've had on the show. Um, she is also of Native American, I believe, ancestry, but I think on the East Coast. And I'm just curious what, in your opinion, what is it about the Native American ancestry that lends itself to people having these, these weird experiences? Because this is not the first time that I've, I've heard this. There's been other... You know, Dr. David Jacobs even talks about this, that some of these people, that some of the people that he's dealt with, and, and say what you want about Dr. Jacobs and his work, um, I have my own opinions on it. But, you know, some of, some of his material reflects that some people that have this Native American ancestry yeah. also have these experiences. What do you think, why do you think that is? Um. The only, you know, trying not to speak for other people, only just myself, literally just myself. Sure. But, but naturally, it would seem to me, it, because it's not, um, it's not argued about. It's not, it, it seems to almost be part of the nature of, of the people, because they are so connected, if you will, in regards to being open to mm. nature. And everything around them. Of course, life much different now, but, but that would be the only thing, you know, from my perspective. And again, you'll understand I was removed from the people. I'm also very light. I didn't start off light skinned. I started off very different early in my life, but as I have aged, I have, you know, very long, dark hair, what have you, dark eyes, so on, but very, very light skinned. And I, I can assure you, being born in the late fifties of mixed blood was not something that was, um, was highly probably accepted or, or, you know, incorporated, if you will, there's a lot of concern around all of that all the way back then. And so, so much of my world was being raised with a mother who made sure I've had my regalia all my life. I've been a traditional dancer different powwows around the country, but I'm not raised of the people. I'm raised of a mother. And so I'm not a good spokesperson in this regard. So the only thing I could say is what my heart says to me is it's because they are earth connected, earth and sky connected. Chad, do you have any kind of insight on that? Oh yeah. You know, just being around, uh, Alta, and, you know, her mom. Sorry, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. can hear you. 
Okay. Um, you know, I've always heard of the, you know, the, the traditional, you know, stories of the Kachinas and the, you know, the Hopis and all. So, you know, again, I think just like Alta, you know, that, that there's connection with the sky and star people and star ancestors. Do you have any Native American background yourself? Not that I know of. I've I've always teased her and her mom and say I'm not a wannabe. I'm a I'm a I'd love to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have the same thing. <laughs> like my grandfather said that um, said that we my family had Cherokee blood or his side of the family had Cherokee blood, but no one's ever been able to trace that. So yeah, I have absolutely no idea. As far as I know, I have no Native American um, ancestry in me. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a curious, it's just a curious thing. I mean, we, the whole thing about them being closer to the earth. And I, I think also too the shaman, you know, that their, their religion is so much based on the shot, the, in a shamanistic, is the shamanistic way of life is, right. is so prevalent among them. And, you know, I would be curious, like these, these beings or whatever have shown up to them and just keep showing up. And like, it works in a bloodline kind of, kind of way. I mean, that's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely fascinating. Let's talk about some of the experiences that you, that you had also um, kind of like more in the, cause you, cause you start off in the book with more of a kind of, kind of a ghost, experiences that you've had um uh in, in some way some of that um i believe is kind of like a ancestor that you feel like those are ancestors coming through to you right well again if i might i'll back up just a little bit further and if i might add thank you for mentioning the book um just you know just so that we may have it known that the book was had a lot more content to it when it was originally written and uh, publishers so on felt that it was necessary to edit it to what you have, you know, what you have there in your hands. (coughs) So I feel, you know, there's a lot of information that has been removed. And so if I might, I'm not even sure if this was still left in the book, but prior to my having memory of ghosty experiences, I kind of babied up a lot of the language just, you know, just to try to get through these experiences without it becoming so overwhelming. You just, you can't operate in a, in a, or be functionable in a world. But, um, I didn't have any childhood memories. And I told you that not only did my mother have a lot of mystery in her life, but, uh, I have a lot of mystery in my early childhood because I don't have any memory prior to about nine years old. And when I say there's no memory, there's no memory. It's not there. And so my first memory is just as bizarre to me as everything else. And I don't have any more information. And again, what I'm offering is I am, uh, my first memory is being tested for ESP in a military hospital in Aurora, Colorado in about 1967, 66. I'm sorry. No, just saying that's interest that that's interesting. Oh. It's Aurora, Colorado. Right. Boy, have I ever discovered how I feel about that as well? Yeah. Uh, 
but anyhow, this is my first memory. And the hospital was, it just stopped being in that location in the last couple of years, if I'm not mistaken, maybe even in the last year. It's called Fitzsimmons Military Hospital. And uh, apparently my mother, my stepfather, who came into my mom's life when I'm about five years old, but again, I don't have memory, um, is it's him and my mother and myself. And we live apparently across the street or somewhere in the vicinity of this hospital. And so all that I know is that that is my first memory is being tested. And then my mother speaking about it. Um, again, it embarrassed me. I just, yeah, just so embarrassed about so many things that I had no answers for. And again, being maybe an only child where I was left to myself to have to, you know, try to deal with what I didn't know how to deal with. So yeah. that's my first experience, I feel, of the high strangeness of memory. Is there any and then, speculation as to what they, I mean, what, what kind of tests were they doing? Do you remember what the test was? The only thing that I have recall of, and this is what the memory is, is I'm in this hospital setting with a, what looks like a doctor in a doctor lab coat, a gentleman with dark hair. And I'm at a, we're at a small desk kind of setting, small table. He's at one end, I'm at the other. And there's a block between us, a little barrier, a little wall between us. And he's holding up cards, like a large card with some, with a symbol on it. And the memory is me like waking up that that's the only way I know how to describe it. Like waking up, um, in this, in this environment. Now I kind of go back to sleep again. That's the only way I know how to describe that. I don't have memory of us leaving that area, but next thing I know we're now, you know, when I'm about 10 or so 11, somewhere in that age range, moving to the Midwest. And I spend now 10 years in the Midwest. Uh, my junior high, my high school, my first years of college, all in this one state. And then in the Midwest, the heart of the Midwest. And then not long after that, I was in my second year, I think, or second or third year of college. And my mom decided to leave the Midwest and move to Arkansas, to Little Rock, Arkansas. My stepfather had passed on. She was a widow at this point and life changed dramatically. So yeah, that's, that's my early history, if you will. It's interesting. Cause I, I said it was interesting about the Aurora thing. And the reason I find that fascinating is because, you know, the, the, uh, the shooting there, uh, James Holmes, uh, right. the, um, the, uh, Batman shooter. You know, that was around right. Colorado, and, you know, he was a part of some weird kind of neurological experiments that were going on there, if you've ever looked into that. So. Oh, I, I, I absolutely <laughs> have, as well as, you know, kind of jumping around a bit, trying not to, but also just with this context as you're in that thought about Aurora. Uh, Chad and I lived in Denver in 99 a place I did not want to return to, but I had to for my job. Um, and, you know, I absolutely did not want to go back to Colorado. You know, it's a beautiful state. Everyone wants to go to Colorado. I absolutely did not want to. I was resisting it with everything I had. We go back to Colorado. We open up a shop in Colorado for people I work for in New Orleans. And next thing we know, I believe it was, 
I mean, it was in no time after we opened the shop, putting a fortune into this shop, Columbine exploded right up the road. And if anybody is interested, I please invite for anybody interested, please investigate Columbine. That has certainly never been told. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff about Columbine. <laughs> That's right. We've talked about some of that. Um, and then, right. you know, like I said, James Holmes, it, it, that's, right. uh, there's something going on there. Um, right. You know, like in right. the 60s, I, I mean, I can think about possibility of, you know, it, it seems like your memory is pretty tame of just being given these cards. You know, oh, that's right. the kind of stuff they would do at like the Rhine Research Center as well. But like, there's there's something going on there. There's something about that place, and the kind of connection to, I guess, what military industrial complex and all that. Kind of going off on a tangent here, but it just it just interests me that the possibility that you or your mother or somebody could have been involved somehow with some kind of project that was going on. I mean. There's a lot you don't know, and you may never know, really. Right. I was, uh, I was just so you know how hard I've tried to get answers to those kinds of questions, of course. Uh, let me mention, to the best of my knowledge, but again, I've shared my truth of what I don't remember and what I don't know. But to the best of my knowledge, there's no military uh, in my family, if you will. Or yeah. It certainly has not been in, in the world that I've understood. That was the next um, question. It was, that was the next question I was going to ask you, actually. Right. And so, if I might then, I was, because I've, I'm like a pit bull. I've been nonstop for many years now trying to get answers, trying to just move forward, find others, what have you. Um, I contacted Grant Cameron, if you're familiar with who I'm speaking about. I am. Mm-hmm. He was, right. You know, he I was, I felt very blessed. At least he responded. It was very short, sweet, and extremely direct, but so often nobody even responds to me. So again, I, I, you know, I give him immense credit for being kind to at least respond, but he all, but I mean, he flat out told me that I would get nowhere with this. When I asked him, how do I get those records about being tested in that facility? How do I do this? What, what do I do? And he just was very clear that there would be nothing I could do. And that was extremely heartbreaking. I don't accept that, but but that was certainly what I was told. This was a few years ago. So, you know, I just keep putting it out there when given an opportunity along with Chad about this is a big mystery in my life. And I would like I'd like help if there's help to be had and or guidance. And so thanks so much for giving us a chance to you know, still put it out there. Yeah. And I will say one thing about that as well, that, you know, the military in the sixties and into the seventies, and that's documented with, uh, you know, the men who stare at goats thing, you know, the John Ronson uh, book about it. And then later on the movie, I mean, all that kind of stuff went on. The military was extremely interested in like ESP and all kinds of things like that. So it could have been something like that. Um, Again, you know, the secrecy that we live under, it's very possible right. that you never would find out. Um, That's right. Yeah, so let's just get into some of the, 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 some of this, the ghosty stuff. I mean, you know, this, this is as fascinating, I think, as to what the main event that we're going to talk about 
to me, some of the things that happened to you, um, you know, you had one where you saw these women in a house. Let's mm-hmm. kind of go over that. Okay, so I'll frame this and then I'll pass this. Chad Ashley does have a voice. He speaks really well, and I'm going to give <laughs> this to him in a second here. Um, he, he's, he seems to like me to be able to do this for us to kind of set this up. If I might, you know, our story essentially begins, as far as I'm concerned, in 1990 when Chad and I, there's no doubt to me at this stage of the game that Chad and I are arranged by a hidden hand, absolutely arranged in our being brought together in 1990. whole lot to the story, but I'll also mention for people to ponder that within 24 hours of Chad and I being arranged with a lot of high strangeness, we discovered that his grandfather and I share the same identical name. His grandfather's first name is Alta. My name is Alta. His grandfather's last name is Duncan. That's my mother's last name. And Mm. so uh, to the best of Chad's knowledge, and I've talked to his mother, his family, there's no Indian in their family. To the best of my knowledge, there's no Arkies in my family. Um, Chad is from Little Rock, or he's, you know, essentially from Arkansas. His people are from Arkansas. So that's where my mother relocated from, from the Midwest, as I said earlier, and I followed her. So Chad and I arranged in 90, all this high strangeness, uh, just of the arrangement, the name connection. Now you fast forward to 1995, Chad and I have relocated to Louisiana. At the time, we're living in an area outside of Hammond, Louisiana, uh, Hammond's small college town. We're outside of the town. It's a particular evening. We decide we're going to go into town and have dinner and drinks. We, it's just Chad and I. We've never had children. Uh, sorry, Chad and I married in 1991. We married a year later after arranged. And uh, so 95, we're going to go in and have dinner and drinks one evening. The sun has not set yet, so we've still got daylight out. If you, if you will, I'll have Chad describe to you what happened to us that I feel essentially is at that point where we could not go back to sleep any longer. Gotcha. Go ahead, Chad. Yeah, uh, we were coming into town, and we went around this group of trees, and back behind this, kind of in a bend in the road, and back behind the group of trees is this uh, local uh, Walmart shopping center. And when we get around this group of trees, we look up into the air, in, in the sky, and, you know, it hadn't gotten dark yet. You know, it was just, you know, it was early evening time. And we look up and we see this craft and it is huge. It's, I mean, it's bigger than the shopping. It's like football stadium size. It's just huge. It's like hmm. a, out, like Alta says, it's a floating city. You know, it's kind of a rectangle, but um, not as wide on one end as the other. Moving very, very slow, very dark, looked almost flat on the bottom, two or three lights on the front, three or four lights in the back, again, moving very slowly. Uh, it's on the left or the right-hand side of the road, and I'm driving, so we kind of both look up at it. I look down at Alta. Alta looks at me. I look back up at it, and then... I kind of just focused my attention back to the road and so did Alta, you know, it was like, okay, if we don't see it, you know, nothing happened. So that was kind of our first experience of, uh, of, uh, it not, not being able to sleep anymore as far as <laughs> know that there's other things out there. 
So, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll just jump back in. We were essentially in shock. Now, that there's just no other way to put it. I absolutely was in shock. And so our reaction is, I don't remember being in shock prior to that. So I don't know how people act, but I certainly know what we did. My brain exploded. I absolutely was not going to take that experience in. I was in complete denial. Chad and I both were in denial, so we never spoke about it. We discovered the next morning that others had witnessed it because somebody must have called it in, we think, on the news. Like maybe when we turned on the radio in the car or something and heard local news, it had been reported. Now, we can't forget that, but we're going to work hard to forget that. So to get to your question about the ghosties, thank you so much for us being able to, you know, kind of put that piece in the puzzle. Within a very short amount of time of this experience, we leave that area and we move to the French Quarter. That's about an hour away. Chad and I, please remember, as we describe this to you, we're extremely naive. Chad's got a good excuse. He's 10 years younger than I am. You'd think I didn't have an excuse at this point, but we're very naive. We're naive about voodoo. We're naive about witches, vampires, ghosts. We're naive. I've had ghosty experiences in my past, but I just don't think that I thought that much about it, to be quite honest with you. It it, It seemed to happen and so on and so forth. I've never forgotten it, but I didn't dwell on any of it. And it didn't pique my interest back then. When we moved to New Orleans, when we moved to the French Quarter, one of our basic, our biggest naivetyities is we are not prepared for the cost. It's extremely expensive to live well in the quarter. We are not prepared for that. So we have to start off, you know, financially the only way that we could at the time. That happened to be on the outskirts of the quarter um, on a street called Rampart Street. Um, This would have been now in 1995. Chad and I, due to economics and also some kind of a mysterious to me mysticism that I don't like, but it certainly seemed to feel like the truth at the time, we ended up renting an apartment above the original voodoo temple of the French Quarter. This place had been built in 1829. I thought it was much older than that. In the past, in our interviews, we've indicated it older because I had not actually researched it. I was working on memory and we were off maybe by a hundred years. So it was built in 1829, give or take, right? I mean, again, we're talking about very old property and it was, uh, it had the largest courtyard at the time uh, of the quarter. And it had, uh, a voodoo temple below our apartment, another apartment next to us, um, uh, a little shop next to that. And then the voodoo priestess had her own complex with chickens, live chickens in a little coop at the end of her complex. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I'm like, no, this is a movie. This is, are you kidding me? People really, you know, this is how stupid I was. Did you have any trepidation about moving into the apartment above the voodoo temple? Not at all. Because I would be like, I'm no, so- no, uh-uh, no. <laughs> right, because you're smart. Well, they, I wasn't. They, they would sit out in the in the courtyard, and this is kind of right. really what drew our attention the to truth. the place. The mystical is, side you know, of it. We're just walking down the street looking for us, you know, kind of apartments and just kind of looking around. 
And because uh, we were just staying with a friend at the time until we could find a place. And again, remember, and, no children. Yeah. And we walked past the big wrought iron gate and they're back there drumming, you know, and they've got this big drum circle. So and it was very inviting, you know, no the drumming was beautiful. There was no hokey pokey right. weirdness going on. It was just drumming. And me being so. Indian, my mom was a drum maker and I grew up with drumming and, you know, in all honesty, thank you, Chad, for that memory, because that it did draw us in, uh, you know, just from the perspective of, again, naive, please remember naive. And so, you know, it just seemed too good to be true. And it always is. Price was right. And we moved in and we're going to fix it all up and make it real cute and adorable and so on. And so that's what happens. We move in. And, uh, Within very short amount of time, I have this, I have a time slip. I call it a time slip experience. And in that time slip experience, there is a female that, uh, well, we'll begin with the beginning. It would appear that there are three females that seem to be women of color that are in their very late teens, uh, early 20s, but I'm leaning more on late teens, if you will that are standing in a row several feet in front of me in my living room. Now, my apartment, we've made it adorable. And it is not adorable in this moment, in this time slip. It is very old looking, old, old looking. And it is, it's drab. And it's, uh, it's definitely not our apartment, but it is our apartment. And these females are, they, they are in tattered dresses. They are barefoot. They are extremely thin. They have crazy hair. They appear to be black women with crazy hair. And they are smiling at me. And I was feeling a sense of love out of them that I don't remember feeling before that. It was permeating me. Their so arms even though they looked rather, they looked rather kind of hideous, but you still felt like it was... Uh, a loving experience. Well, they, I, I wouldn't say hideous. Honestly, in my awareness, they appeared extremely poor. Okay. Tattered. Um, and tattered. As I said, their dresses were tattered. Their hair was crazy. Like it had never been kept, never been combed or what have you. And these are African-American females. And so, but their joy, it, there's no way to describe that kind of emotion. It, this is what they were permeating towards me. Now, I can't tell you who they are. I can only tell you what I felt. And what I felt was that they were slaves. Because the other complex across from the voodoo priestess complex with the chickens, there was another complex across from her that the courtyard divided. That had been authentically the slave quarters of this property. So I knew that when we moved in, I, I did a bit of study on the property. I was fascinated with the history of it. And so anyhow, that was my impression is that that's who these women were, is that they were slaves. Um, certainly that was their appearance. But so they've got their arms outstretched towards me and they are just permeating this sense of love towards me. Now, I'm only expressing to you what I felt. It's not what I believe. It's what I experienced. Then before, I wanted to move towards them. And as I started to do so, I felt somebody right behind me, something right behind me. 
So I kind of pivot around because this something is right behind me, like almost on my neck. And uh, as I pivot around, it would appear to be the impressions that artists do of the Virgin Mary. Mm. It was right. You know, the appearance of what artisans, how they depict her. And this is what this being looked like. And her arms were outstretched. Everything was robed. She was veiled. She, um, as I turned and pivoted into her, I pivoted into her. I knew she was going to hug me. And I wanted that. And I just fell into her. I felt like I fell into her. And I was so happy. And then she leaned into my ear and she whispered in a tone that is very hard to describe, so beautiful, called me by name. Now, this gets so creepy. She said, Alta, you must get stable. Now, that's what she said. Mm. I don't get perturbed. I don't get irritated. I don't get nothing. That's I'm in this hug or I'm falling into her. It felt eternal. I, that's the only way I know how to describe any of this. And then she said those words to me. And then the next thing I know, the experience was over. So that was my experience, uh, one of my experiences in that apartment. Chad has a very uh, good experience or encounter, if you're interested in uh, oh, yes. of something that happened to him very particularly. Yeah, well, I want to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, so... I- this was like the first week we were in that apartment and uh, I'm in bed and I kept feeling like something was crawling across my chest, you know, like a bug or something. So I, you know, wake up and I'd scratch, go back to sleep and wake up and scratch. And, you know, this happened, you know, three, four, five times, you know, throughout the night. And when I woke up the next morning, I had dug a couple of layers of skin you know, off my chest. And I get on and I go to work and, you know, I'm thinking, well, if it was a bug, it would be in different places. You know, it wouldn't be just in that specific spot on my chest. And this vision starts coming back to me of I'm laying there in bed, you know, horizontally, and there's this apparition of this very, uh, African looking black man. I could only see him from his waist up. From his waist down was more kind of like a misty kind of cloudy. But from from his waist up, he, he was bare chested, no no shirt or anything. Uh he had a, a few beads, you know, like African looking hemp beads necklaces around him, uh, you know, his neck. He had a very um uh short afro you know nothing and he would take his finger and reach down and tickle me on my chest and i would go up and scratch and when i when i went up to scratch he would pull away and like i said this happened three or four times throughout the night you know well i you know at work and by the time i'm at work you know i'm like in this mode like i'm i'm i go directly home 
out to be a Native American, we've all, she's always had the uh, the smudge stick, you know, in her in her abalone shell. So, and Alta was at work, so I grab her fan and I grab the smudge and I light it up, and I mean, I got it smoking, you know. So I'm walking around the whole apartment, you know, and uh, just smoking up the place, you know, getting the the, the blessings just to going. And you know, I'm I'm saying out loud, I'm like, hey, you know, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you are. I said, but uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna clean this place up, or I'm gonna paint the house. Uh, the the apartment will have us a nice little apartment here. Just leave me alone. You don't have to go anywhere. Just leave me alone. <laughs> Never had any other problems. About a month or so, you know, later or two or three, whatever, uh, another couple had moved into the apartment down below us, and they had been married by the voodoo priest who had died recently before we moved in. Okay. And apparently we had his old apartment. Oh. Uh-oh. And so they're, nice. they're showing us these, their, their wedding pictures. And they, and he goes, or she, she hands me the pictures and she says, this is priest such and such. And I can't remember the guy's name. I, you know, the priest's priest's name. But he said, she said, this is priest such and such. And I take the picture and I look at it and I'm like, oh, my God. And I tell them the same story I just told you. And they're like, yep, that sounds exactly like something that he would do. He would test people. He was a trickster. He, he you know, he, he tested you to see if, you know, you were, I guess, worthy to be in his company or, you know, if he liked you or whatever. So it just sounds like something, you know, he would do. And so, yeah, there, and there, we had some other experiences. Uh, one night, um, uh, Alta smelt smoke and I didn't believe her. Hmm. Did you ever go to the voodoo priest, the, 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 the people that live downstairs in the temple and, and tell them any of this or? I never, now, the voodoo priestess had uh, started, you know, running the, the shop and all. Her husband died. He was the voodoo priest. He was from Belize, I believe. Uh, I never really don't remember talking to her uh, about any of those experiences. Uh, we did kind of have an experience, uh, like I said, one other night, I'm laying in, we're laying in bed. And Alta wakes me up and she's like, I smell smoke. And, you know, me being a guy, I look up, I sniff around. I'm like, you're just dreaming. Go back to sleep. <laughs> you know, maybe a couple of minutes later, if I got back to sleep or I'm not sure, she wakes me up again or nudges me again. I smell smoke. And this time I kind of looked up. And you could just see this little stream of, of smoke coming into the bedroom. And I'm like, oh, so in any fire in the French Quarter is a three alarm fire you right. know, because it spreads so fast. All the old houses. Yeah, right. Right. Because everything is connected. So. We jump up, run downstairs Go back, go at it, get out into the courtyard, fire, fire, fire. Here comes the priestess, a couple other people uh, that lived in the slave uh, 
the slave quarter apartments and then the guy that lived upstairs uh, next to us. There, we called, come down, we could see smoke coming out of the, um, out of the temple. So we go into the temple and by this time, somebody's already called 911. Uh, fire, uh, firemen come in and there's probably about eight, nine firemen, the voodoo priestess, myself, maybe some other people. I don't remember if Alta's there, but we're looking. We can see smoke. I mean, the, the room is, you know, it's just this one, the temple is just this one big room. And we can see smoke, but we see no fire. Nothing. And now she's got a lot of the, her, um, her uh, altars and different things uh, all over the place. So there's a lot to take in and a lot to look at. So we're looking, and finally, we see where one of her glass jars that she had her candles in had broke it. I guess the candle got too far at the bottom, and it burst. And it traveled across the floor, went up the wall, and this was the altar she had for her. It was her wedding anniversary. So she had her wedding dress in, in uh, the priest's, uh, his wedding suit up on the wall. And, but the, the fire traveled up and it, then it started going up the wall and it stopped at these pictures of like the saints and Jesus and all. If it would have went above that, it would have caught that dress on fire, and it would have really been a mess. But, mm. yeah, it, that was a, another experience we had when we lived in that apartment. What was that? That was a weird beeping sound. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> the uh, um, Doorbell's ringing. <laughs> gotcha. No, uh, we don't have doorbells. We don't have a doorbell. <laughs> we don't. We don't have a doorbell. We don't know. The uh, now, interesting thing about that apartment that you guys lived in was later on. You guys were long gone. Later on, ten years later, there was a murder that took place in that apartment. Oh boy! Absolutely, not only a murder. I mean, if that's not just bad enough, I mean, truly just horrendous, just absolutely horrendous. We discover, and, and I, we didn't know this until a couple of years ago, but apparently Chad and I lived in that apartment in 1995. Now you fast forward 10 years later, Hurricane Katrina has hit 2005. A young couple who were new lovers, uh, I understand he was a desert storm dude that had had gotten out and come to live in the quarter. Uh, this girlfriend, she had moved to the quarter and they met in the quarter. Then Katrina hits. They are both very good partiers. They're both into the bar business and drugs. So, and apparently very well liked as well. And so Katrina hits. They refuse to evacuate. They, as they say, hunker down, but they're hunkering down with all the alcohol, all the drugs, because, I mean, the city has been evacuated. So they've got kind of free reign, if you will, living in their own abandoned 
13 blocks, which is what the quarter is, uh, apparently they're doing all that they can do also in humanitarian services, as interesting as it sounds, helping folks that apparently didn't get out either. Um, then Katrina ends and life starts to come back and lights are back on. And, you know, because people were living primitive, you had to be, yeah. uh, if you're this in that kind of an environment. So anyhow, world starts to come back again. And as life is coming back, they're not liking it because they were having their own private Idaho kind of party life. And then, you know, life starting to return to a reality. And so that's my understanding of what went wrong on top of everything was wrong. He, uh, they got into a fight and uh, apparently when he killed her, now, I've, we've just discovered this recently. When he killed her, she laid up in that apartment for a week. Now, I'm thinking in the bathtub, which just makes me cringe to repeat it to you. This was our apartment. This was our right. home. That was your bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and I love baths. I mean, you know, it was right. And so, uh, I mean, just, just the sickness of the whole thing. So uh, then come to find out. He uh, is spinning completely out of control. He's apparently partying harder and harder and harder. He then, I guess a week afterwards, goes to a local in the quarter expensive hotel, goes to the top, the rooftop where it's a party, a, a band's playing and you can drink. Rooftop eat. bar. Rooftop bar. Thank you, Chad. Mm. And uh, he stays up there apparently for quite a while having his own party, and then he just walks over to the edge and he jumps off. Jeez. And he commits suicide. And when he hits the ground, he's got a note in his pocket to send the police or the detectives to our apartment. And when they arrive, it is mayhem. There's graffiti all over the walls. I have no idea written in what. But her head is in a pot cooking on the stove. Her Lord. torso, in her the torso is in the refrigerator, in the refrigerator and legs are in the oven. He has completely cut her to pieces. And <laughs> right. So that was 10 years. That was in that was 10 years later after us living there. Some guy came out of New York City, an author, <clears throat> relocated, relocated himself and wrote a book about this. The book, I believe, is called Shake Off the devil or shake the devil off. He's gotten all kinds of awards for this book. Documentaries have been made about this whole mm. fiasco, this horrendous experience. And then ultimately just to kind of wind that off is that, uh, we just saw, and you can YouTube it. I'm not good with computers. I'm not, I'm not technically savvy at all, but, um, we discovered that, if you know who the ghosty boys are, the Zach Bagan yeah. characters, yeah. Uh, the one he, one of them left Nick, I guess is his name. Yeah. He left the group and he started his own gig. I don't remember. He's with some female apparently. And is this, just, is this last year, Chad? I think maybe so. just this last year. Yeah, or maybe I think it was this, this, it was year. this year. Yeah. yeah. Well, it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, you know, yeah, it was after the fire. After, oh, Okay, so Chad's reminding me it was after the fire because 
they went to the apartment and spent a night in it and filmed that show in this apartment. But as Chad just reminded me after the fire, so 10 years later after the murder, the apartment burns, the temple burns down, it's done. So, I mean, just unbelievable craziness. If anybody's interested in that uh, show, I didn't see much with, but I don't see much in those shows anyhow. But let me just assure you all, if anybody watches that, what it's called The Murder House on Rampart, I believe. Mm-hmm. Paranormal episode. Lockdown, I think is yeah. what the show is called. So anyhow, it is, uh, as I said, let me just assure you, there's so much more going on there than meets the eye. Oh, yeah, that oh, apartment yeah, I is. would say so. See, also, one thing that we neglected to mention is, before we move away from that area, is that the voodoo priestess was a very, um, uh, she was a very interesting woman in the sense that she got herself connected to the movie companies uh, fairly early on out of California, the big movie companies. So anytime they'd come to town, which is always filming, they were, they, she, they'd contract with her. To anytime they were doing movies about voodoo, hoodoo, she do, whatever, vampire-y kind of, primarily, I guess, voodoo kind of stuff, they would contract with her and our home, not our apartment, but our courtyard and the temple and all would be set up with a movie set, big old movie companies and has been movie stars. And it was just, it was crazy, absolute crazy. <laughs> Lots of times we couldn't get into our apartment or it was a hassle trying to get into our apartment. Uh, Eric Roberts, if you know who he is, yep. the actor, you know, he's all laid up. I mean, the things we could write books just about that craziness, just trying to get in and out of our apartment. I mean, it was just <laughs> right. Oh, boy. Lots and lots of strange energy. Well, let's talk about the main thing that happened to you guys. Uh, this is a this is a pretty serious event. Um. I believe this was this was nineteen was this nineteen ninety five as well. No, the as you call the main event yeah. took place in ninety seven. Ninety seven. Okay. Right. Interesting year. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you for taking note of that. Yeah. Nobody ever has, and I've always thought the same thing. Uh, so we get out of that location. We work our way up. Chad's got his own business going on. I'm doing fine with what I'm doing and we're just kind of making our way. And we end up moving into a unbelievable townhouse that should have rented for lots and lots and lots of money. And more high strangeness was involved to arrange for Chad and I to move into this location. There's no doubt to me because the rent on this apartment was so low. We won't repeat it. And it was just amazing. And we were so joyous because we had survived and life's moving on. And so this is 1997. I'm about to turn 40. Chad is 30 at the time. Again, Chad and I are now 27 years together. We've never had children, so I won't keep repeating that. Again, no children. So Chad has reminded me often of the fact that I started carrying on a couple of years prior to my 40th birthday that I could not wait to turn 40. I knew something huge was going to happen. It was going to be big life altering. Thank you, Chad. Right. Life altering. 
kind of language. And uh, as Chad always says, you know, what woman. Yeah. What woman wants to be 40, you know? Right. And, and I, I remember her telling me, she told me, she told me two things uh, when we first got together that, you know, she can't wait to be 40 and that mm-hmm. we wouldn't have children. And that she was told a long time ago by spirit or whatever you want to call it, uh, that she, she would never mother. I would never mother my own, but that I would mother mother many. many. Yeah. This Mm -hmm. very cryptic, bizarre message that I would only tell Chad. Now he's repeated to the world (laughs) because it was just, you know, what the, Hey, where's, I don't know. I don't know. So, but I did, that's the truth. And so back to that turn and that's kind of the business. nature of the phenomenon. It's always very cryptic. It always tells you yes. these weird things that hardly make any sense. And infuriating. <laughs> Just, you know, when I listen to folks that repeat their experiences and whatever they claim has happened to them, so on, I just, I find those that can do it so smoothly and it's smooth and makes sense to them. I'm just, I mean, that's just a foreign, that's a foreign story to me. It makes you wonder. Because ah, makes me just crazy. Right. Well, so I can't wait to turn 40. Apparently a lot longer than I even remember, because that's so insane just in itself. So moving this story along, uh, my mom, who is still in Arkansas, now Chad and I are in the French Quarter. She's come to visit. She's not in good health. She loves the quarter. She can't wait to move there. We can't wait for her to move there. We're going to look after her. Life is grand. She loves Chad. He loves her. She's my mom, and I'm just so happy. The quarter knows my mom as a mixed Native elder woman and with highly respected, you know, the folks that she did meet that we introduced her to, so on. So she just can't wait to get back. We can't wait to get her there. We've rented a mother-in-law cottage in our courtyard of the townhouse we live in. Everything's looking grand. And as I said, not meant to be on my 40th birthday, my mom died to the minute I'm born. She's gone mm. just like that. So with that punch, that shot, we have to deal with this. Now she hasn't gotten out of Arkansas. This has happened to her in Arkansas. Okay. We have to, we have to go there. I'm a mess to say it bluntly, Chad, thank God was able to, you know, keep it together, to keep me together, to get me on a plane, so on and so forth. We then now return with my inheritance. And uh, one of the things that came back with us that I could not give up was my mom's telephone. Now, this is 97. She still had, what, a rotary phone? No, no a, a button, push. one it of those push buttons. It had button. the big, big numbers, you know. Because she didn't see she well, didn't right? See yeah. So, yeah. you know, just just this big phone that I just had to hang on to because I knew that she was calling for help when she died. And so I'll move through that story relatively quick. Let me just, the bottom line was if there is such a thing as haunted, that phone was haunted. And so that started off the creepiness on top of my mother's death of this beautiful new home that we have. So now we've got this huge shadow over us because I am in deep grief. So I throw myself into work. Chad does the same thing. Now we'll move forward three months later. This is now, it's interesting, uh, Adam, this is our anniversary, we feel, of when this happened to us. 
we we remember this happening to us in 97 in September. Oh, okay. So, right. I mean, wow. you know, we're, right. yeah, right. And so anyhow, it's, you know, September. Um, I'm working in a shop that is a family owned business that they started this business in 1929. At the time I went on board with the shop, they'd been in business 70 years, highly respected. They own two shops in the quarter, 70 years they've operated this business. Now, New Orleans, of course, is French Quarter is pure tourism and convention. So, you know, they cater to all of this as well. Uh, they've hired a young woman that we call her Christine in the book. She is at the time 24, Chad's 30, I've just turned 40. She realizes the impact of the death of my mom to me. And she asked me one night if I wanted to go out after work and have dinner and drinks in the quarter. I accepted. We called Chad. At the time, the, the townhouse is only a couple blocks from our shop. So Chad gets himself cleaned up and he meets us over at the shop. So it's the three of us. Our night starts at 930 in the evening. We step outside of the shop. From the moment we stepped out of the shop, I remember taking note of it and saying it out loud how weird it felt outside. It, the energy, it felt weird. And I believe that's kind of how I indicated it. Um, nothing more, nothing less to that statement, but we certainly remember that. We start walking down to the famous Bourbon Street. This is going to be a night that's pure spontaneous. We've got no plans. None of us have children, as I've said. So, you know, we answer to no one. We're just going to take it as it comes. And I'm going to work very hard to try to have a good time because I'm suffering so deeply inside. And Chad as well. So we start off on one end of Bourbon Street. We're going to make it all the way across. We're going to stop wherever we feel like. French Quarter is about 13 blocks square. I won't bore you with all the details, but High Strangeness started immediately at the first club that we started at. What I will say is that we stopped at three different locations from one end to the other in a matter of an hour and a half. And there was no people. There were a few stragglers on the street, but in every location that we went into, no matter how small or how large it was, if it had a restaurant, for instance, there was no wait staff and there were no patrons. If it had a disco, a, you know, a dance club, there were no people, no bartenders. There were no people except one person in each location that was either a manager or what appeared to be a bartender. Now, that's just creepy to repeat it. Yeah, that's weird, not... especially for the French Quarter of New Orleans. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I was talking to... Uh, one of the local bartenders and she's been tending bar for 30 years in the French quarter. And I kind of told her, you know, some of our experience and she goes, that's crazy. I mean, we even went to some of the, the more, you know, like local where the locals hang out, you know, because if, if the tourist spots aren't hanging out, that means everybody's off work. So that, you know, the local places are going to be busy. And even they were just, there was no one there. Right. So for, you know, for the sake of time, just kind of to get us to that moment of what happened to us, we discover in, in an hour and a half's time, because we're not staying in any place. The longest we stayed anywhere was the first location, but we didn't drink and we didn't eat 
and we didn't take drugs. And we've said this every time consistently. We've been challenged over this statement, but this is our truth. To the best of our knowledge, nobody was around to drug us. That would have been welcome, let me assure you. Because that would have given us something to think about. Yeah, some something to explain something. But that wasn't that wasn't our experience. So we end up on our final corner. And now we've made the full quarter. It's 11 o'clock. That's what the three of us remember collectively. That's our last memory. Now, the next thing that I know is that I am not waking up. I'm coming to the next day, sitting up in my living room. I'm sitting in my living room on a day bed, a brass day bed that we had, and the sun is blaring through my window. I'm rubbing my arms. I feel something in my upper arm, and I am... I can't find words to describe what I'm going through. Everything is happening so fast because to the best of our knowledge, the three of us is we're still connected to the other person all these years later, long distance, but we are still connected to her. Um, To the best of our uh, account, I'm the only one that seems to have what I say, what I call have memory of the in-between. I don't have any memory of coming off the street and I have no memory of being returned home but I have a full memory of in-between. I didn't wake up that next morning. I came to sitting up in my living room and I was rubbing my arm and I had something, there was something in my upper arm, excuse me, that was not there the night before. And um, as I, you know, I'm trying to get it expressed to anybody hearing me is that I'm going through all kinds of insanity of having memory of, you know, an event that uh, is not sitting in the middle of my living room the next day. I'm one minute on a street corner with Chad and our friend. The next minute I'm in a whole nother world having an experience. And then next thing I know I'm coming to my eyes pop wide open and I'm coming to the next morning and I'm in my house. So now I'm going through instant panic inside of myself. Where's Chad and where's our friend? I get up and I, sorry, before I get up off the bed, as I'm rubbing my arms, I'm also aware I've got something in my arm. What the, and I got all this going on inside of me. So I see a lump in my bed. I've got visual to my bedroom where I'm sitting. I see a lump in my bed. And as I've said before, I'm praying to the heavens that that lump belongs to me. And because I can only see a big lump under the blankets. But I'm only seeing one lump. So, again, that's only accounting for the possibility of one of us. You know, where's the other? So Mm. I'm getting ready to go in that direction. But my bathroom is right there. So I beeline into the bathroom. I have this very bizarre uh, private experience in the bathroom with this something in my upper arm. I, again, just for time's sake, I, I... come out of the bathroom and I mean, I'm heading straight for that bedroom to discover that lump. And, and again, for Chad, at the time I'm heading towards Chad, Chad's woke up at this point and it is Chad, the lump is Chad and he's up and on his feet and he's moving towards me. So as we're coming together, I'm looking at his face, like pleading quietly, silently for him to tell me what in the world has happened to us. 
and I can see instantly in his face, he is clueless because he's needing me to do the same thing. And so we both figure out we can't do that. I'm now telling him I've got something in my upper arm. We're both also discovering our friend is missing. So we're, we're, this is all happening to us all at the same time. Hmm. <clears throat> Chad now sees my upper arm. I've been so busy dealing with the trauma on the front of my body in the bathroom that I don't take time to check out the rest of my body. I'm just beelining for Chad. So when Chad and I get together, he now walks around me. I'll have well, him describe to you. Yeah, uh, she's you know kind of pointing out about my arm, her arm. It's in, my upper, my upper arm. Yeah, upper left arm. Left arm. And I'm looking, but then I look even bigger, and I see like fingerprint bruising, like somebody's been holding her, you know, around her arm. And actually it was on both sides. It's so it was as if somebody was holding her from behind or, you know, one on uh, somebody on each side. But the thing about it is these prints, the, and they were kind of, they weren't like palm prints. They were like fingerprints and they wrapped all the way around her arm. And there was only like four digits. It wasn't like, you know, five fingers it was more like you know uh, three fingers and a thumb or something like that hmm. no and again they wrapped all the way around her arm uh so this was and, some kind of bruising that yeah, lasted but, maybe a day or right. so i mean but you know and everybody of course i guess naturally asks pictures what about no uh, i just would like folks to understand we are in so much unbelievable trauma. Nobody is thinking about anything right. except where's our, where's our friend and what has happened to us, right? That's, I mean, that's all that we can do. And so anyhow, that's all we have to share with you about, you know, those, those prints were his taking note of them, me seeing them, and that becoming the last of my issue, to tell you the truth. It, it almost became like on the back burner because, again, where's our friend? And so, yeah, so that's that's how that's how that started in terms of that particular night. Um, if I might, again, because of trying to keep this in some order, because our friend very probably wisely long ago said she was never going to be public about this. She was never going to, uh, you know, be part of this uh, situation of, of writing a book with us or because we certainly weren't thinking of any of that, I assure you, back in the days. But she'd always been very clear that she never intended to be public, but that she gave us permission to speak on her behalf. I asked her seven years after our event, it took place, what, 97, seven years or eight years later, I asked her long distance, if she would write her memory for us, uh, that she agreed to do, I have it online. I've never made it public, but I'll be honest with you. It was very surprising. What she was able to write was so vague. And she admits that as time has passed, what she didn't remember, she doesn't even remember any more of. I mean, it was, it just, it's like it all was fading away from her. And so, um, 
but with Chad and I, maybe again, because it's just so acute for us, you know, this experience, if you will, it seems to be something we can't forget. And, and we talked about it a lot more than she did. I mean, well, she, would, she right. would never talk about it, but we, we would, you know, we weren't, there was no shame in our game. We would you right. know, tell people, hey, you know, we had this crazy experience, you know. We didn't scream it from the rooftops, right, but right. I almost was trying to, as crazy as it sounds, again, trying to have some understanding and guidance and help. And that just was, of course, not happening. And again, we stayed naive. Chad and I continue to stay naive. And so, uh, as I've always said, and I'd like for people to remember, there were no book of rules. They've never given us a book of rules on this. So, if I might, I'd like to share with you what happened to our friend um, shortly before we refer to us being taken. Sure. That night. We claim, you know, our, our, we use the word or abducted the word. We created the word. We want the word word out there because we know that there are many, there has to be many others that are having similar, if not same, who knows? So anyhow, our friend, as I told you, she's 24 at the time. She was single, never been married, no children. She was dating a guy for a very brief time. His name was Will. I called him Dark Boy. He was her polar opposite. She's tall, slender, long blonde hair, attractive, very uh, no drama queen at all about her. Very, uh, very focused on her right and wrong and about life. You know, she was just somebody who very interested in the earth, very interested in social behavior, very interested in the well-being of children. Even at that very young age, that's her personality. This guy she was dating for a minute, mm, yeah, I wouldn't have seen any of that associated with him. He had a cloud, like a darkness about him. He was very cute, but I mean, he had long black hair and it just fit the mood. So the day she decides she's not going to see him anymore or you know, essentially let him know she wants to see other people, she invites him over to her apartment. She lives in a duplex at the time. It's daylight. It's the afternoon. They're out on the front porch. He's only a couple inches in front of her face. She begins to tell him, I like your butt kind of story. I'd like to see other people kind of thinking, you know. Um, she says that he starts to become so emotionally uh, upset. But the way she's describing it to me, it, it's coming from the inside out. and And... I actually was understanding her as she was describing it because she was so clear about it. She said that he turned into a wolf. She said she turned her head away instantly in shock. I knew she was telling me the truth because that's what I did when I saw that floating city in 1995. I rejected it. Mm. She flipped her head away. She looked back. She, he must have shifted back human and then shifted a second time. She said when he did it the second time, I'll clean up the language for the show. She said in a very stern, loud, direct voice, you just turned into a wolf. And she said he responded startled. You saw that. Now, what? what? Wow. What? <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> right. I hear I'm mixed Indian 
from a reservation area, maybe not raised there, but raised around the country, the world, mixed with Indians, the lore, the collectiveness. I've never seen a shapeshifter. Not yeah. ever. And I think I'm very grateful. But here she does. And she, I believe, shares this with us, me in particular, because of my nativeness. And she, she knew there was tremendous respect for my mom. And so, I mean, I'm speaking for her, but, you know, I'm adding that because she doesn't go around telling people this. So this only happens just shortly before this night. So now to finish up her side of the story, she says that, sorry, we didn't see, we couldn't, we didn't connect with her for another two days after this happened to us. So we're Chad and I for two days losing our minds. First of all, that this has happened to us. What has happened to us? What is in my arm? Oh my God. And where is she? Okay. Two days later, she and I connect. She makes it very clear to me. She knows something has happened. She can't explain anything. She just accepts something has happened. I'm going crazy. She's cool. Well, she says that she remembers just like us, what we told you out there, stopping at these locations, no people, nothing going on, 11 o'clock. And then she says the next thing she knows is that it's somewhere between three and four in the morning. She's now behind the steering wheel of her moving car. Her car is moving slowly. It hits a parked car. It knocks off her rear view mirror. And she says that it jolted her too. She said that this is in a whole different location than where she parked the car that morning. She's in a whole different section of the city. She says now, the way she's describing this, essentially that car seems to be driving itself. Now she's getting herself too as she's holding the, you know, gripping the wheel. But that car, she, it's going, it, she's heading to Wolfie Boy's house. <laughs> now, she's never going to see Wolfie Boy again. <clears throat> oh, my God. I mean, she's never going to see him again. But that's where she ends up. It's in a neighborhood she shouldn't be in at 3, 4 in the morning. He's in a hood. And he lives in a, a old house that's been converted into apartments. His apartment's downstairs, apparently. She says that normally a big old gate, a big fence, like a big iron fence or whatever around it with a gate that's locked. Not this morning. The gate's open. She goes up the steps and up to the front porch and the door is open. He's inside the door, sitting, playing guitar under an overhead lamp. And she said that he stops playing guitar and says either... I've been waiting for you, or we've been waiting for you. Who cares? It's so creepy. <laughs> and then she goes in, and she says she becomes hysterical. Now, she doesn't, I don't, we've never seen her hysterical. She doesn't do, do that. I'm a crybaby. She doesn't do that. But she says she becomes so hysterical, controlled hysterical. He puts the guitar down. He walks her into a room, lays her down. She says she cries herself to sleep. And then she says, you know, we're, we're gathering. It's only like an hour or so because she says the sun is just starting to rise. When she opens up her eyes and she realizes where she's at, she says she's dressed. She doesn't think he's done anything to her. She 
So she gets up and she gets the, you know what, out of there and doesn't look back. Now that's her story about that event. But if I might now, since I've taken this much time sharing this with you, because it's so different than what happened to me. Right. And it's so different than what happened to Chad. Right. Good point. So the yeah. end, right. I mean, there's no connection to any of us. There's, you know, possibly Chad and her, but definitely not me. And, and in her account, we don't seem to be in her story. Who knows? So to end that part of the story, this happens to us in 97. I'm going to fast forward you real quick to 2001. Chad and I have, I use the word imploded. We've come apart. Chad has left. He's gone to Alabama where his family lived to go to work for his dad. I chose to stay behind. I remain in the French Quarter. I throw myself into work even more than I'd ever done before. And I'm not doing well. I'm becoming very sick. And, and I'm just, and I'm feeling very lost. And uh, one day I get out of work. It's afternoon. The quarter's packed like I'm used to. And it's a beautiful afternoon. Unusual. Because there's, it's always humid here. And hot. On this day, it's just beautiful. I remember taking all that in. Because I'm not doing so well. I hear somebody yell my name. You know, Alex is a weird name. So, you you know, I pay attention if I hear it. So I hear somebody yell my name kind of across the crowd that's, you know, milling about on the on the sidewalks in the quarter. I look over and this guy looks like an alien himself. He's close to seven foot tall if he's not seven foot tall. He's very thin, which makes him look taller. He's a friend that I hadn't seen in a couple of years who's an artist, a traveling artist, who happens now, I know, but I didn't at the time, to be from Montauk, New York originally okay well interesting right exactly so but i don't know nothing back then other than he's an odd guy but he's a real cool guy well he he asked me if i wanted to get a drink we sit in an outdoor cafe he orders a coke i think i ordered a beer i don't remember ever even drinking this thing by the time this all went down he learns that chad and i have split up he's very upset everybody's shocked because you know chad and alta and next thing I know, as I'm thinking he's, you know, giving me some compassion that I felt like I needed really badly, he all of a sudden then changes the subject out of nowhere. And this is just how, just literally how it went down. He said, hey, have you heard about Will? And I, now that shocked me. I Again, there's that shock. It's hard to get me quiet, but I mean, it shocked me silent. And it took me a moment for it to register. He just shifted from how sad he was about Chad and Alton to, hey, have you heard about Will? I'm like, Will? Dark boy? You know him? How do you know him? I didn't even know you knew him. So now I'm freaking because it's like, what? This is what? So he indicates to me that Will has gone around and told everybody he's got to leave. He's leaving New Orleans. He's catching a bus because the aliens are after him now. Right. So just to finish that story up, I'm, I'm real. I'm getting real. I'm getting real PO'd inside at this point. I'm over it. I'm getting angry and I'm thinking, 
thinking, this is a big joke. There's, where's the cameras? I'm on some really bad candy camera. And mm. I can't even comprehend what's just happened. And next thing I know, my friend just, you know, hugs me and off he goes. He's got to leave. And, and I'm left with that punch. And it was so bizarre. So that's, you know, that's that story as, as it stands, as far as, you know, she has never, our friend has never, she, she's never seemed to be interested in dealing with it any further. She had a child, uh, within the year, uh, a year later, I would say, um, a son that she has devoted her life to, who is now in his first years of college. And uh, she's gone on and gotten her degree in environmental science. And so she's of the sciences, of course, and the earth. And, you know, again, has, is leading an unbelievably amazing life from what we understand, long distance. You know, we haven't seen her in a long time. But again, we do stay connected. But that is all that we understand about her experience with us that night. Now, Chad's had regression several years after this happened to us. Again, this took place in 97. We found somebody to give Chad regression probably about 2003, I would say, 2002, 2003. Chad and I reconnected, uh, and I left New Orleans and went to Alabama with him. And we lived in Alabama for about 11 years. I'd like for people to remember, though, I discovered that most people don't seem to know this, or if they do know it, they've forgotten that Alabama is also NASA. That's true. That's right. Yeah. You know, and uh, and also here, we've, we're understanding in the New Orleans area as well. But particularly, you know, Werner von Braun started Huntsville, Alabama, which is NASA. Yep. And... Uh, you know, there's, that's just pretty mind-blowing in itself. But that's where we would end up moving and living. Not Huntsville, but just a couple hours away from that area. Lots of high strangeness there. Tremendous high strangeness. More experiences. Also involving cryptids. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, this is what Chad's oh. relatives that saw like a Bigfoot-like creature out in the woods. Yeah. And no, I actually saw it right on the highway. Yeah, oh, Okay. Oh, it was yeah, very it was up close right and personal. Off the and it and you know, to hear that story, to hear it described the way Chad relays this, it, it's very up close and personal. And it feels very personal. Because it was only it only seems to be for the benefit, do with that as you will, but it only seems to be for the benefit of his father and his adult brother that were driving the vehicle that it was waiting for to have this encounter with. But also his dad. And stepmother saw to hear her say, so they saw the same identical craft, or at least the same shape of unusual craft that Chad and I saw in 95. They saw down in Cancun, Mexico, uh, during the new millennium. They were down there celebrating the new millennium with another couple and saw that craft up in the sky. So, hmm. again... As people say, it runs in families. Who knows? But yeah, that, that's certainly what we understand. So Chad's had regression and has a full account of that night, which is where the word or abducted came from. 
And then I have memory, of course, of my experience. So however you wanted to. Well, see, this is what I think is interesting is that Chad has had regression and you haven't. Um, because I, I've lately, I've just kind of like a lot of the regression stuff. I've felt like I'm more keen to hop on the stuff that is actually people actually remember than, than the regression. So I find it interesting in your case that you, one has regressed and one has not. Right. Well, I, not for lack of trying, I paid, I paid a, a, yeah. a world, a world renowned, uh, hypnotherapist, you know, that I, I, we don't say names, of course, a lot of money to regress me and that failed miserably. But I did have, I feel an amazing experience of high strangeness that did take place. So who knows, but let me just assure you, not for lack of trying. I'd give anything, but yet, you know, maybe good wisdom also maybe is coming with age. Who knows? I don't know any longer. I've always wanted to pursue that. I, I would love to have the experience that Chad discovered in regression in terms of coming off that street, coming off that corner. So Chad, what did you experience? And then also what did you experience? Well, in my experience, you know, again, I, I remember everything exactly like Alto was saying throughout the night. Just, you know, nothing, nobody around. And so what comes out in my regression is we're standing about mid-block at our last uh, place that we stopped at. And we're standing on the stoop. Uh, I guess Alto's sitting on the stoop. I'm standing there. And uh, our friend was talking to uh, someone on the corner and we out to out to kept saying, I just want to go home. You know, I'm just over this. I just want to go home. So what comes out of my regression is our friend rejoins us. And I see this bright light coming from like around the corner and I could see it kind of coming through the windows of this place that was on the corner. And I get the girl's attention. We walk around the corner, and there's this orb. And I would say it's probably about 12 foot in diameter. It's about 15 foot off the ground, and it's about a half a block down the street. And we, we see this. We sit there looking at it for just a few seconds, and it just kind of comes towards us and just engulfs us. It orbducts us. Hmm. My next memory is I'm walking down this corridor. Uh, the It's kind of a kind of leaning, turning to the right. There's this lean, there's this little being in front of us that I'm following, and he's probably about three and a half, four foot tall, big bulbous head. I only saw him from behind. He was wearing this like one piece jump <clears throat> tight jumpsuit. Uh, he wasn't like the thin grays that you see on TV. He had substance. He he was dwarfish. You know, he he kind of waddled when he walked. I only saw him from behind, so I never saw his face or anything like that. Out of the corner of my eye to my uh, left, 
I could see a tall blonde female walking beside me. I did not turn to see if it and to to see if this was our friend, but this kind of describes our friend. My next memory is I'm in this room and it just seems infinite. I mean, it's just huge. It's very dark. Can't see the walls, but it just felt huge. Off in a distance to my left, I could see a tall blonde female laying on a, a examining table. There were three beings around her. They were very tall, seven, eight foot tall. Uh, big heads, big eyes, little uh, slit uh, for a mouth down close to their chin area. Uh, they were kind of almost buggy or praying manisy looking. Now, their eyes weren't up on top of their head. They were more kind of in the center of the face, but they were wearing these cloaks, kind of like a Jesuit priest or a, or a, a Grim Reaper without the hood. Mm-hmm. The, hoodie. the person on the table never seemed to be in distress or anything like that. Now, I'm sitting in this chair, and it's almost kind of like a dentist chair. Very com- more comfortable than a dentist chair, but, you know, very, you know, from, you know, it's got like the footrests and everything. Now, I'm not leaning back. I'm pretty much sitting straight up. But I turn to look over to my right, and there's this little blue being. And when I say blue, he's just this vibrant lively electric beautiful blue and he looks a lot like the grays that you see on tv as far as the body shape size he was probably about four and a half foot tall uh, very thin you know again big almond shaped eyes little slit for the mouth he goes over his presence his 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 aura seemed that of like a professor slash scientist slash healer slash shaman just all kind of combined this you know old just knowledge just holistic and science knowledge he goes over and he picks up this box and he has it in his right hand he takes his left hand and he puts it into the side of the box and when he pulls his hand out there's this substance kind of free floating above his hand, probably about the size of a, you know, half a dollar or, you know, silver dollar or whatever. It's kind of, you know, in a ball shape, but it's, it's undulating and moving around and kind of free floating. The colors in it, it was blue, just like him. It had little glittery, sparkly metal flakes in it. He takes his right hand now. He's only got four digits. He takes his his right hand and he puts his two middle fingers up almost kind of like in a peace sign and his outer fingers folded in towards his palm. You know, kind of like the depictions of like Jesus and the saints and Buddha and stuff like that. You know, how they... And when he does this, this substance starts spinning. And the faster it spun blueness and the sparkly glittery things kind of dissipate out of it and kind of free floating and rotating around it you know orbiting around it and it kind of starts slowing down and it had turned into this double pointed 
pyramid crystal. Very clean, very clear. And again, it's still free floating above his hand a couple of inches. And I remember thinking to him, you know, why are you showing this to me? You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist, not an engineer. This is something very important. Why are you showing this to me? And he told me that I would know in time or when it's time. Mm. My next memory is I'm in this room. Only has three walls, two that are very straight and one that's kind of concave. And there's this overstuffed leather chair uh, that just felt out of place. You know, it looked comfortable, but in my mind, I knew it wasn't how I didn't. And in all the walls and like the floor, there's no seams, no bolts, no rivets, everything just this gray metal. I focus my attention back to the wall that's kind of concaved and I get a little closer to it where I'm like five, six foot away from it. And what I thought was a solid metal wall, I could see through it. You know, it was like this big wall window. And it's it's a long window. I mean, you know, it's a long wall. You know, it's probably 15, 16, you know, some uh, feet, you know, like that. And, you know, about 10 foot tall walls, ceilings, high ceilings. And I'm kind of looking out and I could see through it. I could see stars and planets and I'm just kind of standing there in awe looking at, you know, the universe. And all of a sudden, right outside this wall window, this little craft shoots past and it just it's just right outside. You know, if I could have stuck my hand out, I, I could have touched it. And it shoots past, it gets about nine, ten feet past. It stops and it comes back almost like doing a double take. And it's like sitting right, you know, we're face to face, you know, out on this other side of this ball window. And it's kind of a rugby ball or football shaped, kind of, it's about three foot long, about two foot wide. It's got little uh lights blinking on it little metal antenna things moving around on it you know shuffling around i could feel intelligence coming out of it and it sat there for maybe 30 seconds at the most and just shoots off in the same exact way it was going and my next memory is uh waking up in bed the next morning Mm. if i might I'd like to add while you're still processing what he just shared with you, because I certainly took note of and and understand exactly what you said about regression versus memory, what have you. You know, I'd also like you to know I have dedicated my life. I am the researcher of this little duo because, you know, Chad's just an experiencer and he's been kind enough and good enough along with me you know, to move forward with me to share this experience or, you know, whatever we can share with people that are interested. But in my case, I have thrown myself into this and I have, I'm looking at it inside out, upside down and crosswise for the last 20 years. And I just would like you to know that I stayed out of the room when Chad was being regressed, but in all honesty, again, no book of rules, the young woman, middle-aged woman that, you know, that was kind enough, we worked out a deal 
financially that worked for both of us. She drove to our home. She went into a room privately with Chad. What we didn't understand was that this was not an area she's familiar with. Okay. And what I clearly heard in the tape is a woman who every time Chad got to a certain area describing different beings, because if you took note of that, as I have just in Chad's repeating of what he remembers or what he claims to have experienced, there were at least three, possibly four or five different types of beings on this in his experience. Every time this woman, every time Chad would get to an, having an encounter, I would hear her become very afraid mm. and she would, and she would move him away from it. So there's no telling what's in there that, or what all of this is really about. I, on the other hand, was only going to be regressed originally by Dr. John Matt. Um, Somebody tried to arrange me with Jacobs. I wasn't comfortable, and then I discovered what I needed to discover, so I'm pleased that that never happened. Yeah. But when it comes to Dr. Mack, I was going to Harvard. Yeah. Now, I don't want to sound like a drama queen, but this was a medical doctor who also was a shrink. And I knew that the moment he put his hands on my arm with this object, he would know that whatever happened to us, there's something in my arm. And there's no way to look at my arm and see that. You have to feel it. And so that's what I was going to do because I was going to bypass all this craziness. Just go straight to the, you know, I felt the top. And wouldn't you know, of course, as I'm trying to get that worked out, he's killed. Yeah. So... I chose a, a second choice that I didn't really want to do, but I did. And I agreed to the terms of how much money was being asked of us. And, and it just, it just was a very, very bad experience that I wouldn't ask. I wouldn't wish on anyone. So, you know, certainly not again, trying to be a victim in any of this, but we have been put through the mill, Chad and I, in many ways. And yet, we're still very childlike about all of this. Sure. Trying to understand. Yeah. I think you guys are seekers kind of like us, you know, we're, we're yes. trying to seek for the truth and everything. Yes. Well, real quick, what happened to you? Okay. So I'll try to make it as quickly as I can. Mm. One minute I'm on that corner telling Chad, I just want to go home. Just like Dorothy and Oz. Next right. thing I know. <laughs> right. Right. Good parallel. I've taken note of all of this. Next yeah. thing I know, I'm standing on the edge of a crater. Now, the crater is, you know, I guess large. I don't remember standing on a crater before, so this is all perspective. But try to imagine if you're in the middle of a black and white movie of the so-called moon landing. Is That's what it looks like I was in the middle of. And that's the coloring. That describes the coloring. With the exception of metallic, maybe in the moon landing, so-called moon landing, it might look metallic. I can't remember. But pretty much black and white, gray, um, uh, metallic, and blonde. Uh, I'm looking down. I'm on the edge of a crater, right on the edge, and I'm looking down. 
At the bottom of the crater is a big metallic structure. Who knows? A hangar? A craft? A warehouse? I have no idea. There's nothing else down there. There's no other movement. Nothing else is going on. Now, everything is happening very fast. As I'm trying to take this in, there are what appear to be white orbs um, around the perimeter of that crater that are a light source. These orbs are the size of two big watermelons put together and go all the way around. Um, they felt, you know, when I first was accounting this, I, because my logic kept, you know, that went out the window a long time ago, but I kept thinking that these were light fixtures. But in all honesty, there's, they're not attached to anything. And I'm honest to say they felt alive. They felt intelligent. Um, all of a sudden, I'm aware, I hate repeating this part of the story, but this is what I experienced or what I remember. I'm aware that there's something behind me. I, once again, I don't completely turn around. I just somewhat pivot. And several feet behind me appear to be two, three, I don't know of any more than that, what appear to look like humans what I say are called dogpiled on top of each other. They don't appear to be in any distress. They appear to be in suspended animation. Mm. They're all dressed, male and female, different ages. Now, again, this is happening fast because by the time, nor my normal behavior, if you're down, I'm going to try to come help you. I oftentimes get in the way trying to be too helpful. Not this time. Before I can do anything, uh, now there's something standing exactly next to me. So rather than go assist or help or do anything, I now turn back where there's a female and I refer to her. She's standing right next to me, touching me, almost touching me um, that close on the edge of that crater. She's over six foot tall. I have to crank my head back to look up at her. She's, I didn't know until I'm having this experience and this memory that she's my idea of perfection. She's perfectly built. She's got a bodysuit on. Um, she has long blonde hair. She is physically what I consider perfect, as well as she felt that from the inside coming out. It was, again, permeating me. This feeling of, I don't, I don't care who she is. I'm home. That's what kept happening inside of me. Psychologically, I kept feeling I was home. And I was so happy to be with her. And as I've said this in the past, this is my emotion like a child. I was childlike. And I often say if I had a tail like a puppy, it was wagging off. Hmm. That's how I felt inside. And uh, I then looked past her, my head tilted back up into the sky. The sky is pitch black and it had, I've taken some flack over this in the past, but this is what it looked like. It looked like diamonds in the sky. The stars were so beautiful that I was just, I didn't think about Chad. I didn't think about life. I didn't think about anything. Just that moment. I was in the moment and I was home and I was so happy to be with her. 
and those stars. And then the next thing I know, the stars started to move. And all of a sudden, if there is, again, such a thing as logic and some kind of craziness like this, it popped in my head. And when it did, I went from a state of ecstasy to a state of terror, just that quick. And my heart was pumping out of my chest. And as I'm becoming so afraid, because my logic is saying stars don't do this, something's wrong. She, in a melodic voice again, there's that voice, there's no words to describe the beauty of it, in English, called me by name, and she said, Alta, don't be afraid, they're just scanning you. And then, that's the last thing that I know, the next thing I know, I'm sitting up, my eyes pop open, I'm coming to, it's the next day, in my living room. And I have this... Something in wow. my upper arm. Yeah. That is quite an experience. And I think that we'll leave it there, guys. Right. But that is quite an experience. Uh, tell everyone real quick before we uh, have to go uh, where they can get your book. Well, you can find us on Facebook, um, uh, Orbducted in the French Quarter, also uh, on Etsy. Uh, again, uh, if you just Google or abducted in the French Quarter, it should come up on Etsy. Uh, We'd like to invite and, also. Yeah, we're also uh, doing a book signing on October 19th in the French Quarter. It's uh, going to be at um, Gallery 2. It's at the 800 block of Royal Street. So please come. So please come. <laughs> uh, it's uh, six to nine. You're specially invited, Adam, and and co-host, sir. <laughs> and, Thank you. And uh, anyone out there in Radio Land, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, uh, you can always uh, come by and uh, pick up one of the books at the shop where Alta works. Also, uh, it's um, Earth, Earth Odyssey. Odyssey. In the French in Quarter, the French Quarter on Charters Street. Yeah. We can't thank you enough for this yeah, time. It's absolutely. so much fun. We just so appreciative to both of you for allowing us to share, you know, some of what's happening with well, us. Well, I mean, it's a great story, and I'm sure that that, that you guys have so much more we could talk about. Uh, and we probably should do another show at some point. I think definitely. That'd be awesome. Yeah, anytime. We're, we're always. Uh, we we love to to share our, to share our experiences. That's right. Excellent. We we absolutely do. And 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 we just put this out there as we close with you all again. Please come and visit. We'd love to show you where this happened and yeah. And you know the house, the temple area. It's it's all still very active, if you will. So please come and visit. I think there will be a chance for that next year. <laughs> We'll look so forward to it. Absolutely. Well, again, thanks for everything. We'll stay on the line for us real quick. We're going to close out this part. And, guys, we'll be right back on Conspiranormal to close out.
it's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. I don't know all the other fast stuff that's in the middle. Last night it starts with an earthquake. That's all I got. <laughs> I do know. That, I do know that it references Donald Trump in the song. Does it really? Yes, it does. Well, be careful when I say uh, re- reference anything with Donald Trump because you, you'll get those emails saying how, how how much of an elitist idiot that I am just uh, for talking, being in the slightest critical about Donald Trump. Yes, but you know, those things happen. How dare I, you? I promised that you bleeding uh, heart liberal. I know. I know. I promised at the beginning that uh, we would talk about a little bit about this uh, biblical prophecy that says that the world is going to end on September 23rd. Oh, shit. That's next week. Yeah, that's this coming Saturday, man. We're recording this on September 17th. Should I pay my mortgage or not? No, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. So here's the, uh, here's the article from Fox News Science. Biblical prophecy claims the world will end on September 23rd, Christian numerologists claim. A Christian numerologist claims that the world will end next Saturday when a planet will supposedly collide with Earth. According to Christian numerologist David Mead, verses in Luke 21, 25 to 26 are the sign that recent events such as the recent solar eclipse and Hurricane Harvey are signs of the apocalypse. The verses read, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the Earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Men's heart failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. September 23rd is a date that was pinpointed using codes from the Bible, as well as a date marker in the pyramids of Giza in Egypt. What? Mead's <laughs> views are not endorsed by Roman Catholic, Protestant, or Eastern Orthodox branches of Christianity. Mead has built his theory on the so-called Planet X, which is also known as Nibiru, which he believes will cross Earth on September 23rd, causing volcanic eruptions, tsunamis, and earthquakes, according to British newspaper The Sun. Wait, so this is six days away? Six days away. And it's a planet that no one else has detected? Supposedly. Six days away. Okay. Well, NASA has repeatedly said Planet X is a hoax. Well, we know NASA... Still denies the world is flat. So, for a certain branch of evangelical Christianity, Revelations 12, 1 through 2, describes the beginning of what is known as the rapture and the second coming of Christ. The passage reads And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. You need to put an echo effect on me when I read those kind of, you know. Apocalyptic Bible verses. In the passage, the woman is Virgo. On September 23rd, both the sun and the moon will be in Virgo, as will the planet Jupiter. However, this occurrence happens naturally once every 12 years. There is also a rare alignment known as the Lion and the Tribe of Judah, which the conspiracy theorists are hanging their hats on. According to the Express, author Jonathan Safarti wrote that the same planetary coincidence previously happened four times in the last millennium. 
As usual with any astrology or Christian adaptations of it, one cherry picks the stars that fit the desired conclusion. Safarti wrote, according to the Express, there's nothing suggests that 23rd September is momentous date for biblical prophecy, and Christians need to be careful about being drawn into such sensationalist claims. So says he. We will see. Yeah. Won't we? So As if there's for myself, no show next week. I'm not going to bother mowing my lawn this week. Yeah, don't worry about it. I'm not going to do it. What's the least that could happen? Nothing happened. <laughs> you wake up September 24th and it's a little bit longer than, than it was before? I was just kidding. I make my daughter mow the lawn anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. So, yeah, the world's going to end again, apparently. You know, I had not even heard about this. No. Nope. I didn't even hear about this until like two weeks ago, almost, like a week ago, actually, almost a week ago, when somebody told me about it. This is the first I've heard of it. And I was like, what? So apparently Planet X, which comes from Zachariah Sitchin, has now been picked up by some fringe element of the evangelical Christian prophecy community and used to justify that the world's going to end on September 23rd. Just let that sink in for a little bit. Yeah, it'll come and go like all of them do. You think Dr. Heiser would agree with that? Probably not. Probably not. You know, I think um, I think the, when the world does end, um, it's going to sneak up on us. <laughs> I don't think any calculations or numbers drawn from some obscure reference are going to help out. But right. another thing I wanted to bring up real quick, because we here at Conspiranormal value both an open mind and a healthy amount of skepticism. Uh, a friend of mine yesterday asked me if I had heard about this whole, um, you know who Michio Kaku is? Yeah. Theoretical the astro- astrophysicist or whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, he's, he said he had heard that um, on some, I can't remember, CBS report, he came out and declared that uh, the recent hurricanes were an effect of the HARP program. And, and this, this got kind of big on the internet. Had not heard this. So I researched it earlier today. Uh, somebody apparently had taken a clip from him in 2013 talking about how <laughs> in the future it will be possible to use laser technology and other such things to cause or to create rainfall and basically kind of a cloud seeding sort of a program um, to help to help with droughts. Well, somebody took this clip and they uh, applied it to like this thing that I guess he spoke about the Hurricane Harvey after it had happened and kind of used that way out of context as a modern thing that had just happened and claimed that it was him uh, claiming that this is evidence of, of harp and weather control and using weather as a weapon and a test and all this. So if you've heard that as well, it's, this is not true. This is not even close to true. Rob, I think you're just becoming uh, an elitist. <laughs> Not trying to be the the you know trying trying to poop on your parade or anything and just yeah um, there's all kinds of stuff like that out there. This one was very very easy to yeah it's, it's, it seems like that there was something else dealing with Michio Kaku that was similar. And it seems like it was probably the same thing, but just used for a different time or a different mm-hmm. reason. Well, he's one of those guys that like he he's a really smart guy. He's someone that a lot of people have a lot of faith in that 
but he's not he's not afraid to go out on a limb and talk about kind of out there subjects. So I think he can be taken out of context really easily. You Every know what I mean? Time we have these hurricanes like this, and granted, it's a really active hurricane season. And well, and it was the Irma was the worst storm ever recorded in the Atlantic. Yeah, I mean it, it is a big deal, but that doesn't mean it's a sign of anything. Well, yeah, that's that's one of the things in this about the September twenty third into the world is that the earthquakes and the hurricanes that we're seeing. Solar eclipses have been happening for centuries and eons and exactly. since the beginning of time. Exactly, it's just it's a it's a pattern, a the, very predictable pattern. When I remember hearing about this stuff when the Japanese earthquake happened in twenty eleven. You know, because it references earthquakes and it references wars and rumors of war in the in the book in the book of Matthew, but also in the same book, it also says that Jesus says no one knows the time or the hour. Well, there so, you go. <laughs> but apparently, you can guess at it. What I want to know is what happens to these people after September twenty third. I mean, wouldn't you want to hedge your bets and like put it like next year or? 2019 or something uh, it depends if you really believe it or not i guess so maybe there are true believers you know and if it's like if it's like, like any other uh apocalyptic prediction they'll come out on sunday and be like oh you know i missed this one detail it's gonna be in january oh yeah i was off yeah. by a few months and then you never hear from them again yeah oh there'll be a couple of those and then they'll vanish yeah exactly all right well um Next time, if there is a next time, <laughs> Planet X doesn't kill us all, Nibiru, whatever the hell it is, uh, we have Jeff rejoining us, and I guess that we're doing kind of like a the trying the romper room format a little bit in a different way this time. I guess we're going to talk about history. So I don't really know what to expect on this one. I'm kind <laughs> of... Uh, I guess we'll see. So I guess this is kind of a quasi leisure hour reunion for you too. So, yeah, so I see Jeff all the time. Yeah, you, you see him <laughs> all the time. Angry little man. You guys got your little, your little uh, '80s cover band, which was good, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, we got. I did get to see it. The next uh, gig coming up in a few weeks. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. If anybody's in Nashville, you should check out the. Uh, Tell them about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you're anywhere around the area, anyone come check us out. It's Cobra Kai is the band. Great '80s reference, Rob. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we'll be playing sometime next month at Twin Kegs on Hermitage Avenue. Uh, but just check us out on Facebook, Cobra Kai '80s. Uh, we'll post all of our shows on there, and we'd love to see you out there. It'd be great if we got everyone that's that listens to Conspiracy Normal to come out and like pack the house. Oh, it'd be awesome. Flood the streets. <laughs> pandemonium and mayhem <laughs> all right guys we're gonna close it out uh luke what did you think oh yeah that's right <sighs> keep forgetting that every time you do that i look over at it where yeah, it's he like, should was be he sitting there like, there's a nice know? little dent that, like where he used to sit yeah well we used to sleep yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right guys Hope we'll be back next time maybe with luke if you're lucky on conspiranormal elitist
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.